Imagine for a moment a man who goes out to plant some tomatoes in his garden. And then the next day he goes to check on his crop and sees nothing there. And immediately he is discouraged and gives up his goal of ever becoming a gardener. Slightly irrational in an overreaction, wouldn't we agree? But so is the man who is discouraged by the humble beginnings of the church. And indeed, the incremental growth that is usually associated with gospel work. This is the theme that we see across these two parables this morning. So let's look at these, indeed, famous parables with fresh eyes this morning and see what God just might be saying afresh to his church. Let's pick up, reading again in verse 31, where it said, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So let's address the elephant in the room for a moment. Is the mustard seed actually the smallest of all seeds? In, the, in, the, in that unqualified sense, actually the answer is no. There are, in fact, smaller seeds. The wild orchid, for instance, is smaller than a mustard seed. But you have to be careful with context, even when using words like all. For instance, if I were to say that a particular restaurant near my house is the best, well, you have to uh, ask the question, the best what? The best fast food, the best steakhouse, the best Chinese place, uh, the best prices, the best takeout. Uh, there, there has to be some kind of qualifier, the best of its kind. What, in what way is it the best? Now, one thing is for certain, nobody's going to come up to me after service and say, Now, pastor, you said in the sermon that... A, a particular restaurant was the best, but we all know that Jesus is the best. You should know better. Nobody's going to come up to me and say that. Because we all know there's some kind of context in there other than actually the best thing in all of the universe, which we know is Christ. So, in that same way, critics have misinterpreted Jesus' statement here for years because in context, Jesus isn't saying it's all, it's the smallest of all the seeds, but the smallest of all agricultural seeds. He even says later on that this tree is larger than all the garden plants, giving us some context to what he's talking about. And these are important distinctions that those critics frequently leave out when they're attacking the Bible. So in that sense... The mustard seed is indeed the smallest of all the agricultural plants and crop plants and garden plants. Interestingly enough, though, the only crop plant that has a smaller seed is the American tobacco seed. And again, context matters here. <laughs> uh, you certainly aren't going to eat tobacco like you would an apple or a mustard seed. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, I googled, what would happen if you were to eat wild tobacco the same way that you would eat a wild tomato? And it immediately directed me to poison control. 
that gives you an idea. I, so beyond any shadow of a doubt, Jesus has been proved 100% right in his context. And I hope you guys are sensing a theme as we address these so-called errors in the scriptures. In their context, there, there is no error. So what does this parable actually mean now that we've gotten the elephant out of the room? Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God will be like this mustard seed. Extremely insignificant and nearly ignorable at the start. Disregardable. But it will grow into something impressive. We must remember that the Jews were looking for a political messiah to come in and suddenly overthrow these Romans that were oppressing them and restore the kingdom of Israel to the glory that they had experienced under the reign of King David and King Solomon, get, bring them international prominence again in that region. That's what they were looking for. Imagine their surprise to find out Jesus had much different plans for how he was going to handle this. He was warning his people to be ready for a different kind of kingdom, one that would spread in a different way than they would have expected. And he told them it's not going to be like a bomb going off. It's going to be like a mustard seed, starting small and growing from there. (laughs) And they could not imagine. They had no context to comprehend the incredible growth that the church would experience throughout the centuries. They could not comprehend that 2,000 years later, about 5,700 miles away, according to Google Maps, that there would be a gathering of people together in South Amboy, New Jersey, worshiping the same Jesus 2,000 years later. That would have filled their hearts with such joy to consider just what we are doing here this morning. (laughs) Or consider the journey that the Bible has been through, now translated into some 2,846 languages throughout the earth. Now available in some 157 countries, which, mind you, there's only 195 countries in the world. It gives you an idea of how far and how this tree, if you will, has grown, how far this message has gone. But yet, it took 2,000 years to get to this point. This growth did not happen overnight. This is what Jesus is saying is the norm for God's kingdom. Slow, incremental growth of the church. Now, rapid, explosive growth does happen during times of revival, especially. But that's not the norm. It's not normal. We don't expect that even though it does happen. What is normal is Jesus healing 10 lepers and only one comes back to worship him. That's normal in God's kingdom. And in that same vein, we don't expect to just put a sign out on the front lawn and expect thousands of people to come through this building repenting of their sins. We don't expect that, nor do we plan on that. But what we do work for and labor for is we'll have an outreach on the front lawn and some people will filter through over the coming weeks. What we do expect is we're going to take care of people downstairs through the ministry of the food pantry and every once in a while somebody will come and join us. 
same thing with the Sunday school. People will come up through the Sunday school and what God is doing there, and sometimes the families will join us, sometimes they won't, we understand. Uh, even this week at the Thanksgiving table, some of you guys might invite some family members to come and join this church you keep talking about. And maybe they'll come around Christmas time, maybe they won't, who knows. But that's what we expect. And yeah, it's, does, it's not explosive growth, it's not exciting, it's not something that's going to make newspaper headlines. But we do it because we care about this next generation. We do it because that's what the kingdom is about, incrementally going forward and reaching this world that so desperately needs this message. And yeah, that's a lot harder than taking an easier route. It would be much easier if we just focused on being comfortable here ourselves and allocating all our resources to making this church a social club where everyone here is comfortable and well taken care of. But if you ever ask somebody in healthcare what that looks like, when you take the focus off of healing and onto comfort, that's called hospice. Guys, there are far too many churches today that are on hospice. Let that never be said of this church. May this church remain on mission. May this church not forget why it was planted here in South Amboy in the first place. For the worship of God to be a light to this nation and this community. And yes, to build up the saints for the equi- for, to be equipped for the ministry, as Ephesians 4 tells us. That's what we're here for. But it's more than just reaching people. It, it, it involves taking care of those who we come across as well. We, we see this note Jesus get, makes about the birds nesting in, the, uh, in this tree that had grown. And when you think of this idea of birds nesting, you know, it just immediately conjures this idea of protection, provision, peace, home. All of these thoughts come to mind when you think of birds nesting in a tree branch. And I think Jesus is communicating to us that people would come and take shelter in the kingdom of God. As it grows, so would its ability to take care of others. I find it fascinating that during the, the time of the Black Plague in Europe, when people were fleeing the cities as these infections were spreading, there was one peculiar group of people that were rushing in when everyone else was rushing out. And it was the Christians. It was them who know, they, we know where we're going. We were rushing in and taking care of these people in their desperate time of need. When people were fleeing out of fear, Christians were ministering out of love, providing that provision and protection that we are called to do. And frankly, the same thing happened during COVID. You know, I give so much credit to the people who served through the food pantry over the years, especially during that time, because when everyone else was shutting down and hunkering down out of safety, They were risking their own lives based off of so little that we knew at the time to take care of those in this community who had needs that were being ignored by the others in this society. The church has done great good as a whole 
Not just our individual home here, but as a whole, providing shelter to the needy. Everywhere that the gospel has gone, there have been schools that have been built, hospitals that have been built, orphanages, food banks, shelters, you name it. Where the gospel goes, these things go. Because that is what people who are motivated by the love and compassion of Christ do. And and so to this day, this is going on, people continuing on that legacy. Ten years ago, when my wife and I had a privilege of joining with a missions group in Uganda, we had, we had the privilege of starting a malaria clinic down there. And the group that we had gone with, the missions organization that was taking us along with them, had already built a school in that region. That's what the people motivated by Christ do. It's just what we do. And you won't find any other worldview, any other philosophy or religion that motivates this kind of behavior. You can't show me one that has built so many hospitals or school systems or you name it. It, it, The numbers indeed speak for themselves on that. So I must ask, what is God calling you to do? What, what, how has his compassion moved you? Who is he calling you to reach? It could be the less fortunate. It could be a neighbor. It could be somebody you know who doesn't have the peace that we have in this season. Who just needs the good news of Jesus Christ. Who can we pass this news on to in our own sphere of influence? We don't have to travel half a world away to do so. I must move on for time, but fortunately, our next parable is only one verse long. (laughs) Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, the obvious question emerges, doesn't it? What is leaven? Well, it's yeast, it's what causes bread to rise. It's, it's the difference between a cracker and a loaf of bread. That, that, that's what it does. Um, and throughout Scripture, it's used to picture something that is spreading or permeating what it's involved in. Because that's what leaven does. It spreads. And it's, it, it's used in various different contexts. It's frequently used in, in the context of sin. Because that's what sin does. It it, it spreads. If you give it just part of your life, it will grow. If you read, I believe it's James chapter 1, it says that that sin, when it's fully conceived, brings forth death. It it starts with, with one sin and it grows to another and it leads to all kinds of horrible things. It doesn't just stay in one place, it grows. Which is why in our first reading in 1 Corinthians 5, it talked about purging out the old leaven. You know, and become the new lump, become free from that context, be free from sin and pursue to be pure the way Christ has called us to be pure. But leaven isn't always sin in the Bible, as some people believe have believed and taught because it can't be in this context because here it's saying that leaven is the kingdom of God now that's a confusing picture if Jesus is saying that leaven is sin 
That, 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 it messes with the whole analogy. That would imply that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of sin. And that the end of the kingdom is a total corruption into sin. And there's no way that that's what Jesus was teaching when he told this parable. But I will be fair, the people who do take that interpretation, they're not wrong in what they teach from that. Because the church has gone through rough times over, the, over its history. We got things we got as a church culture we do need to own up for. We, in our history, we do have the Crusades to answer for and the Inquisition and all of those blights on our history. And I particularly think of the 1500s where uh, the Roman Catholic Church had basically abandoned the gospel. It had to be rediscovered. And it was more interested in political power than anything else. That was a serious time of corruption. But that being said, while that's all true, leaven is a symbol used for permeation, for spreading, not always sin, because symbols and analogies are flexible. <laughs> Just look at water and its use in Scripture. It's used to quench thirst in John chapter 4. It's a cleansing agent in Romans 6, but it's also a picture of judgment in Genesis 6 with the floods during Noah's time. So, furthermore, both Satan and Jesus are respectively compared to a lion in Revelation 5 and 1 Peter 5. So, these, these analogies have to be flexible depending on their context. So, with all that aside, with that in mind, therefore, this parable emphasizes what it actually teaches is that the kingdom of God is like leaven. It starts with just a little bit but it'll eventually spread through the whole lump and cover everything it touches to the ends of the earth. This parable is basically the same message as the last parable, that the kingdom of God would start small but spread through the whole world eventually. But you might ask, how could that possibly be true? John, don't you know the church is waning in its influence today? The church is becoming less powerful, not more powerful. How could that be the interpretation? Well, I'd say perhaps this parable needs to be re-examined and reapplied to our own time. Because think about it, God has done the impossible before. Who's to say he's not going to do it again? The, the God that brought the explosive revival at Pentecost can do so again. With the same God that brought the Welsh revivals, the great American awakenings, he can do so again. God is not done working. <coughs> Excuse me. We need to abandon this mentality in American churches especially, that it's all over. God's done with this nation. You know, this, we're just going to hand the culture over to the secularists. It's over. I can't accept that. Here's the number one reason I can't accept that. I have kids. Some of you have grandkids. Prayerfully, I will too someday. I can't accept that it's all over while there's still something worth fighting for. While there's still a culture worth reaching for the sake of this next generation. 
So until God says it's over, we're going to continue to push back against this culture. We're going to pray that God brings forth these revivals of old to our nation, to our churches, to this church, and to see what God just might do. And maybe it comes in the form of a massive revival. Maybe it comes with just some incremental growth. But either way, we're going to continue to push forward. Praying that God would begin his work in this church, in this city, and as far forward as God would have this to go. Because we must remember, God has done a lot more with a lot less, hasn't he? At one point, the Reformation was literally one man who had rediscovered the gospel. At one point, it was just Martin Luther who had rediscovered the truth of Scripture that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And now, 500 years later, it is complete, that rediscovery has completely changed the West. Who's to say God can't do that again? <laughs> Speaking of which, at one point... This Gospel of Matthew, at one point, there was just, at one point, there was just one copy sitting on Matthew's desk. And now it's in all of our Bibles, all the world over in those 157 countries that the Bible has gone to so far. <laughs> and frankly, to bring it home for a second, at one point, about 160 years ago, <laughs> a handful of people decided, you know what this town needs? This town needs a church that teaches, that has strong Bible teaching and passionate worship that is excited for the things of God. And that was back when that was exactly what the Presbyterian church was associated with. God has done a lot more with a lot less. <laughs> and I still believe that the best days ahead for this church can still be ahead for us. That our best days are still yet before us, not behind us. It's possible to look back and say, wow, back in 2022, our influence was so small compared to what God has done for us now. Let's not give up yet, church. Not because we're anything special. Not because I'm anything special. But because that's just how God's kingdom works. One soul at a time. With that in mind, let us conclude this section with verse 34. That says, all, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will, fill, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. We covered this at length at the beginning of the chapter, so I'm not going to go exhaustively this morning on that, but this is why Jesus is speaking in parables in this chapter. It's a fulfillment of Psalm 78 that, where, uh, where the psalmist said he would do exactly this and reveal these hidden truths about the kingdom of God to all who would listen, those who did have ears to hear. And the common theme throughout all of these parables we've, we've examined so far, and even this postscript that we just read, is that everything is going according to God's plan. It might not be our plan. It might look different. I am sure it looked different than what the disciples were expecting. 
but it was better. And it was all going according to God's plan. I mean, just look at these parables. And when we look at the parable of the sower, Jesus is saying, don't be surprised by different reactions to the gospel. It's part of God's plan. Some will shoot up and gain a hundredfold. Some will fall on rocky soil. Don't be surprised by the presence of evil and not yet believers in the world and even in the church. We learn that from the parable of the weeds and the, and, uh, and the wheat. Don't be surprised by the humble beginnings of the church and most gospel work throughout the ages. That's normal according to the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. And here... Matthew is saying that even Jesus' stylistic change between the, the open and plain teachings of the Sermon on the Mount and speaking more unveiled parables here in this chapter, even that is according to his plans. My church, the, the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for everything is one of God's greatest gifts to you. It is something that has given me and prayerfully has given you such great peace to meditate on that truth. That we're in this season of thanksgiving and I can't help but to be thankful as I look at my own life to know that God has a plan and a purpose for everything that I am going through, the good and the bad, that nothing is outside of that plan. <laughs> that even when things seem out of control, both on the worldwide scale and even in my own household, God has a plan. God is going to use it. We could take comfort in the truth that God uses every tear, every difficulty, and even the dark seasons for greater purposes than we might even be able to understand this side of eternity. For that we have hope. For that, we have peace. For that, we can be anxious for nothing, as the other portions of Scripture tell us. And we can rest in his beautiful sovereignty. Thanks be to God. Amen.